You are listening to the Journal of Rheumatology's Editor's Picks with Dr. Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief. Hello again, this is Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Rheumatology. Welcome you to the May 2021 edition of Editor's Picks. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. This month, we will begin with Dr. Caleb Michaud, who is the senior author of the paper entitled The Risk of Cardiovascular Events Associated with Disease-Modifying Anti-Rheumatic Drugs in Rheumatoid Arthritis. Dr. Michaud will give an overview of his paper. Uh, this cohort used patients who are participating uh, in FORWARD, the National Data Bank for Rheumatic Diseases, which was founded by Fred Wolf back in 1998. And we looked at patients who participated from 1998 through 2017 uh, who started a variety of DMARDs um, and who have the rheumatology diagnosed rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, we wanted to compare the primary hard outcomes, cardiovascular disease outcomes, uh, which was a composite of myocardial infarction, stroke, uh, hospital heart failure, and cardiovascular disease-related death, which we linked with uh, the U.S. National Death Index. And we took a look at those patients in the last, those 20 years, and we, uh, you know, primarily found that those who took an anti-TNF biologic DMARD and avatacept, uh, another biologic DMARD, they were associated with reduced cardiovascular event risk compared to those who took conventional synthetic DMARDs, but not uh, any difference in comparison to methotrexate treatment. We found that methotrexate use by itself was also associated with reduced cardiovascular event risk, which you might expect to be the case from papers long ago, but are less often seen these days. And this was even more prominently done and noticed in doses of methotrexate greater than 15 milligrams a week. We also found, as others people have shown, that glucocorticoids were associated with an increased risk of cardiovascular outcomes. I hope you enjoyed listening to Dr. Michaud giving an overview of the article entitled The Risk of Cardiovascular Events Associated with Disease-Modifying Anti-Rheumatic Drugs in Rheumatoid Arthritis. I encourage you to read this paper and the accompanying editorial entitled Defeating the Hydra of Excess Cardiovascular Disease Risk in Rheumatoid Arthritis. How Close Are We to Completing the Task? And is by Dr. Elena Mayasadova. The next article I'd like to highlight is entitled Descriptive Comparison of the Effect of a Premolast and Methotrexate Monotherapy in Oligoarticular Psoriatic Arthritis, the Corona Psoriatic Arthritis, Spondyloarthritis, Register Results, and is by Ogdi and colleagues on behalf of the Corona PSA Spondylitis Registry. The aim of this study was to compare the effect of a premolus methotrexate and biologic disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs, or BDMARD, in 150 patients with oligoarticular psoriatic arthritis as defined by less than or equal to four swollen joints. 
of the 1,593 uh, 1, patients in the Corona PSA spondyl arthritis registry up to March of 2018, 150 meant the entry criteria of a diagnosis of oligoarticular PSA and had been started on a premolos methotrexate or biologic DMARD and had completed at least six months of follow-up. Overall, 34 patients were treated with a premolos, 15 with methotrexate, and 101 with a biologic DMARD. After six months, patients with a premolos had improvements in all measures that were similar to those found in patients started on a DMARD and were greater than or equal to the improvements in all measures studied in patients who were started on methotrexate. The authors discussed the limitations of this study and the implications for the treatment of patients with oligoarticular PSA and what further studies have been initiated which will help validate the results of this study. It has long been recognized that the outcome of pregnancies in women with SLE is improved if good disease control can be obtained prior to the time of the pregnancy. In the next highlighted paper, Kim and colleagues examine this issue in their study entitled Lupus Low Disease Activity State Achievement is important for reducing adverse outcomes in pregnant patients with systemic lupus erythematosus. The authors retrospectively reviewed the outcome of 163 pregnancies in 110 women with SLE over a 20-year period. Clinical features and pregnancy complications of these women with SLE were compared to those of 596 pregnancies in healthy women. As may be expected, there was a higher rate of stillbirth, preeclampsia, preterm labor, intrauterine growth retardation, admission of the neonate to the neonatal intensive care unit, and emergency C-section in the pregnancy of women with SLE as compared to controls. Comparison of the clinical characteristics of treatment between patients with and without pregnancy complication showed that the achievement of low disease activity as measured by the lupus low disease activity state achievement score or LLDA was the most important measure associated with lower maternal and fetal complications. This paper again demonstrates that the achievement of a low disease state or remission should be the goal prior to recommending pregnancy in women with SLA. The authors also suggest specific targets for prednisone dose and LLDAS to improve pregnancy outcome. 
The fourth article to highlight is entitled Clinical Phenotyping of Primary Sjogren Syndrome Patients Using Salivary Gland Ultrasound. Data from the result cohort and is by Moselle and Collins. It is accompanied by an editorial entitled Ultrasound of the Salivary Gland and Primary Sjogren Syndrome. Usefulness to Phenotype the Patients by Valerie Devochelle-Pensac from Brest Occidental University, Brest, France. The aim of this study was to determine if patients with primary Shogun syndrome and abnormalities on salivary gland ultrasound differed from those patients with a normal salivary gland ultrasound. 172 longitudinally followed patients from a single center in Groningen, the Netherlands, who had primary Sjogren's and a salivary gland ultrasound were studied over three-year periods. This was a cross-sectional study, and the investigators used the Hokovar ultrasound score to assess salivary gland involvement. Scores could range from 0 to 48, where a score of greater than or equal to 15 was considered positive. 79% of the cohort had a positive salivary gland ultrasound. These patients had significantly longer disease duration, higher systemic disease activity, as measured by multiple items of the ACR-ULAR criteria, a higher Sjogren's syndrome damage index, and had more positive serological variables than patients with a negative stand. Interestingly, despite the association of these measures of activity and damage, patients with a positive salivary gland ultrasound reported less fatigue, pain, and more often found that their state was acceptable to them than patients who had a negative ultrasound. Please read this article and the accompanying editorial to better define the role of ultrasound in patients with primary Sjogren syndrome and the implications of these ultrasound findings for both clinical care and future studies. The last article to highlight is entitled Whole Body MRI Quantification for Assessment of Bone Lesions in Chronic Non-Bacterial Osteomyelitis Patients Treated with Pemidronate, a prevalence reproducible and responsiveness study in Isabel Panwar and Collins. It is accompanied by an editorial entitled Whole Body MRI Imaging is an Essential Tool in Diagnosing and Monitoring Patients with Sterile Osteomyelitis and is by Sato and Ferguson from the University of Iowa. This study had two aims, one to validate the use of a scoring system for whole body MRI in patients with chronic non-bacterial osteomyelitis, or CNO, and two, to evaluate the responsiveness of a scoring system to treatment. The investigators found a good to excellent inter-reader inter agreement for the detection and quantification of bony lesions in 88 different whole body MRI examinations from 32 
pediatric patients was CNO. All MRIs were independently reviewed and scored by two radiologists blinded to the clinical details. After the first round of pomidronate, they found resolution of 34% of the lesions found in the 32 patients. This MRI protocol also detected worsening of individual lesions seen in 7.5% of lesions and detected 46 new lesions. Please read this article, which fully outlines the findings, as well as some excellent images of, of the, the lesions of CNO, including serial images showing resolution, as well as the efficacy of permitrinate in this cohort. The accompanying editorial helps define the role of whole body MRI in CNO, which sequences are required to measure disease activity, and whether this should be used in clinical practice and for research to define the best therapy for CNO. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast and encourage you to read not only my highlighted article, but all the articles in the May 2021 edition of the Journal of Rheumatology, either in the print edition or the online edition, which is available at www.jroom.org. Please watch my interview of the, of the senior author of selected COVID-19 articles, which are available for viewing at our website and on YouTube. If you have any questions or comments on these highlighted articles or any articles in the Journal of Rheumatology, please send them to manuscripts at jroom.com. And please listen to next month to the June edition of Editor's Highlights. Please stay healthy. Thank you.